You are tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nahumsiegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast. Yeah. 
Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another great edition of JM Sunday. What a program we have in store for you today. Starting with great music in the first half hour, Morning Chizuk at 7.30, live from Israel at 7.35, Naomi Nachman, followed by our news from Israel at 8 o'clock, and then scheduled in the last hour, Jay Booksbaum at 8.15, Susie Fishbein at 8.30, and Charlie Harari, rounding out the show at 8.45 with great inspiring words for the Pesach holiday coming up. Today is Sunday, March 24th, 2013, the 13th day in the month of Nisan, 5773. And uh, it is a, a nice morning outside. It's a bit cold in these parts. Here at 7.06 in the morning Eastern Time in the New Jersey studios of JM Sunday, 35 degrees outside. And there may be a bit of snow tonight in this area. Just a small accumulation, maybe an inch, if that, uh, slushy roads. But, of course, you have to be careful tomorrow morning. So uh, we're going to be with you for the next two hours with music and talk on an exciting pre-Erev Pesach show, JM Sunday, jmtheam.org, nachamsegel.com, on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah. 
Hashem by uh, Ari Goldwag from Simcha Libi. Before that, Baruch Haba from uh, Shalsheles. And uh, before that, opening our song segment, Hodu from uh, Shalsheles. So we had a two Shalsheles in a row. The first one, the Hodu, was from Shalsheles 3. And the second one, Baruch Haba from Shalsheles, volume number 5. And of course, opening up as we always do on JM Sunday with Modaani by Regesh. 7.20 in the morning, and uh, it's Eastern time, getting ready for Pesach, Erev, Erev Pesach today, live show here as we always do on a Sunday morning on the stream. wanted to remind you that JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama, more than a camera store, the official electronics retailer of the Nakam Siegel Network, 42 West 18th Street in New York City. 1-800-223-2500. For, for cameras, audiovisual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, iPods, iPads, and much, much more. Adorama, imaging and beyond since 1975, official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network. So, 7.30 will be Rabbi Goldwasser, and uh, we expect that our first guest will be joining us right after that, live from Israel, Naomi Nachman. Uh, the host of Table for Two here on the Nachum Siegel Network on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. So we'll be talking to her. Then our news from Israel at 8 o'clock. And then we expect a host of guests. <laughs> a host of guests. Uh, 8.15, Jay Booksbaum. 8.30, Susie Fishbein. And 8.45, Charlie Harari. Let's go back to some more music right now here on JM Sunday. And... Uh, Next up is David Gabe with Eretz Yisrael.
Dort 
Music by Mordechai Ben David from the Let My People Go album, Golos Mitzrayim. Before that, David Gabay with Eretz Yisrael here on JM Sunday. Coming up in a few seconds, Rabbi Goldwasser. Following Rabbi Goldwasser, we expect to be joined live from Israel by Naomi Nachman. If you have any questions for uh, Naomi or for Jay Bookspam, Susie Fishbein, or Charlie Harari, who will all be joining us in the next hour and a half, Send me a question at uh, Matis, M-A-T-T-E-S, at NachumSiegel.com. Matis, M-A-T-T-E-S, at NachumSiegel.com. Or go to our Facebook page, JM Sunday. Like the page while you're there, and you can post a question for any of our guests, and we will try to get the questions answered, all expecting to be live with us this morning here on JM Sunday. And at this time, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we present to you Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Rabbi Goldwasser's words, L'zecha Nishmas Rav Zev, Rav Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. The Shiboli Aleket, Rav Tzidkia Roif of Italy, lived in the year 1230. He wrote that we are noyuk to recite certain piyutim with words of Shvach V'haydah, Praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. Among those are Echod Miodea. We say Shnai Miodea. Who knows two? The Torah was divided into two Chalokim. The first one are the mitzvahs, Ben Lamakom, the mitzvahs between man and Hashem. The second part is Ben Adam Lachaveroi, between man 
and his fellow man. The Talmud in the beginning of Avodah Zarah tells us that in the future, the nations of the world will regret that they were not Mekabal the Torah, that they didn't accept the Torah. They will beg Hashem to Nulanu Meiraj. These words seem to mean, give it to us anew. Hashem will answer, however, Misha Torah Be'erev Shabbos, he who puts forth effort on Erev Shabbos, Yoichel B'Shabbos, will be able to eat on Shabbos. In other words, it's too late. Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Dushinsky asks, what's the meaning of the phraseology, Tinulonu Miroish? Give it to us from the beginning. We can understand this in the following way. Chazal tell us that when Hashem offered the Torah to all the nations, they asked what was in it. And Hashem said, don't steal, don't kill. So they all said, we can't accept it. That's our way of life. Now they will complain to Hashem, if you would have told us about the mitzvahs on the first side, instead of telling us about the second chilek of the luchos, then we would have been able to accept the Torah. So Hashem says, Misha Torah Be'erev Shabbos, Yoichu B'Shabbos. The weekdays is how we have to conduct ourselves with our fellow man. Shabbos is the relationship between man and Hashem. Meaning, if you can keep the mitzvahs bein Adam L'chaveroi, if you can get along with your fellow man, then that gives you the schus or the merit to have that special relationship with Hashem. If you can't be Mekayim those mitzvahs, you cannot fulfill those mitzvahs between man and man, then you can't develop the special relationship with Hashem. Tenu lanu meraish, those mitzvahs that are in the beginning of the luchais, those that talk about our relationship with Hashem, are just as important as those mitzvahs which talk about our relationship with our fellow man. Rav Shach used to say, this is what the Torah Jews Hashkafah should consist of. Echor elokeinu shnei luchos abris. That's all I know. Nothing else concerns me. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
Well, we say Lashana Habarbi Yerushalayim, and that is the uh, hope and wish, of course, on Pesach, as always, and Pesach starting tomorrow evening. But we have somebody who is uh, in Yerushalayim right now, about to join us on the air. Naomi Nachman came from Australia to New York and uh, is in Yerushalayim today for Pesach. And, of course, she can be heard every Friday morning at 9 a.m. on the Nachum Siegel Network, Table for Two, is her show. We welcome Naomi Nachman to JM Sunday. Good morning, Naomi. Let's see if she can hear us. Good morning, Naomi. Are you there? Let's see if we can make sure we are connecting. And we'll go back to the music for a second. And... Um, and then we will make, we will attempt to reconnect here on JM Sunday. And once again, we welcome Naomi Nachman to JM Sunday. Good morning, Naomi. Hi, Nachman. How are you? Fine. Great. And how are you doing this Erev, Erev, Yom Tov? I am amazing. I'm great. I, I'm in your shalim. Like, what more can you ask for? <laughs> Absolutely correct. We were just playing um, uh, the, uh, you know, we wish, the wishes on Pesach is, uh, is Yerushalayim for next year. And that's what we say. And um, you're there. <laughs> I know, I keep pinching myself. My daughter's in seminary for the year. We got a great deal on tickets, and we did a car and a house swap with a friend, and here we are in Yerushalayim. It's like surreal. i just come back from Machana Yehuda. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. You must have seen a, a lot of great things over there. What did you find in Machana Yehuda? Oh, my God, what didn't I find? For starters, I saw, like, a kosher Pesach china store. Because as Ashkenazim, we do not eat china. Right. And and uh, in Israel, half the country about is the Sephardic, so they eat all this kidney or stuff. So all the stuff that's available for them is unbelievable. Um, so also Ashkenazim also have plenty of food to eat. And we saw like fruits and vegetables, spices, people calling out, you know, buy this, buy that, 20 shekel, 30 shekel a pound. They're like shouting out. My kids are a little bit freaked out from it. It was very crowded. They had butcher shops and fish shops all packed with people buying stuff at the Chag. We bought our shank bone there in the Machane Yehuda. That's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. What, what <laughs> it, would you, it was really surreal. What would you say was the most um, uh, interesting ingredient that you saw, something that you may not have seen in a while? Anything come to mind there? You know, you know what's really interesting? You know, I love fruits and vegetables, and I love fresh fruit and vegetables very much. And, and I saw, um, they call it in Hebrew, passiflora. Passion fruit. We never get passion fruit in America. 
you know, once in a while you'll see one one of them for six dollars for uh, Shekhianu and Rosh Hashanah. Right. This was <laughs> I bought a huge bag for like ten shekel. Wow. And you know, it's something that's just not available, readily available in in America for yeah. us, especially in New York. I, so that was like amazing for us. Right. We bought I, a huge bag. Amazing. I know you're going to give us a recipe in a minute, but passion fruit is that a remind me please? Is that does it have a little bit of a um, a bittery taste or it, it, yeah, it's tart. I wouldn't call tart, it bitter. It's tart. tart. Right. It looks course. like a, a small. It's bigger than a golf ball, smaller than an apple. It's like a brownish color. You cut it in half. It's very popular in warm climates, like here in Israel or in Australia, we eat tons of them. And you, you slice, you cut it in half, and it's got little tiny seeds, and you scoop it out with a spoon, and you eat it, or you can use it in a d- dessert or. A, you know, a dressing for a fruit salad, a topping for a cake or something. It's really a delicious, you know, fresh to eat with a spoon. That's how my kids ate it. They already ate 10 over Shabbos. So wow. I had to buy, you know, another 30 of them. <laughs> so I'll put you on the spot, um, like like they do on, on some of the uh, celebrity uh, uh, food shows. I'll put you on the spot. You have uh-oh. passion, f- you have passion f- fruit as your ingredient. What dish would you make that highlights the passion fruit? Pavlova. It's actually, there's a pavlova recipe on my website or on my blog, um, the Um, You can make a Pesach thicker version of it. You just, I think you leave out the corn starch or the corn flour, but you would make it exactly the same. Um, it's egg whites and sugar. It's basically a meringue, then you, a meringue and that you cook up and then you put, when it cools, you put, um, some fresh whipped cream on top and then you take some fresh passion fruit and some fresh kiwi and you garnish it on top with that. Delicious. Sounds delicious. The Aussie Gourmet, Naomi Nachman, is joining us live from Israel here on JM Sunday, 7.45 Eastern Time in the morning, right before Erev Pesach. Tonight is uh, Badikas Chametz, and you're going to be searching for the Chametz over there. But in the meantime, you have found some delectable delicacies, if I can yeah, put those wait, two words together. Yeah, we had a big Chametz meal. <laughs> we had a big homage meal at Pasta Basta in the in the Shook. Ah. I make fresh homemade pasta. I when I did my radio show Table for Two, um, which airs on Friday mornings on Nachum Spiegel Network. Big shout out to my show. Um, but uh, I spoke about that the first restaurant I was going to eat in was Pasta Basta, air of Pesach, the day before Pesach, and it was delicious. Did Beautiful. not let me down. Beautiful. Now, if you, you have. Um... Uh, as you mentioned, your website is theaussiegourmet.com, where people can go and uh, see a lot of the recipes, see a lot of the things that you've done. You've been on, you've been everywhere. You've been on TV before, uh, and as you mentioned, you're on Nachum Siegel Network right now, and uh, the show is great on Friday mornings following JM and the AM at nine o'clock at nachumsiegel.com, uh, and everybody tunes in to listen to that. And I know there are people who will listen to what you say and discuss in the morning, and then try to repair anything that you suggest for Shabbos. So. It's really a great uh, a great program to Thank have. Thank you. So, uh, Thank you. You're welcome. This morning, uh, what would you, and it's afternoon, your time, what would you suggest, uh, what is one of your favorite recipes to prepare for, uh, for Yom Tov? Okay, so I'm going to, you know, tell everyone to go to my website afterwards and they can catch the recipe there. But, like, I take a salmon and I make a pistachio crusted top, and mm. it's just, so delicious and fresh, and it's really nice if you can cook it up like the day of Yontif. Um, you just take some mayonnaise and crane equal parts, probably about a quarter cup of each. Make like a, you know, the red crane and some low-fat mayo. Make a mix of each and smear it over a big fillet piece of salmon. Then I take some 
um, pistachios, which are shelled and salted. You can buy them actually probably at any O-nuts in any neighbourhood um, that they have them. And I crush those up with some brown sugar, um, some lemon juice. It will turn into like wet sand. And then I place that on top of the crane uh, and mayonnaise, which I've smeared over my fish. And then the topping is this, you know, sweet, delicious, fresh um, nuts mixture that I placed on top. I bake it for about 20 minutes on a cookie sheet lined with parchment paper. And will you be having um, that this delicious. coming Yom Tov? We will be having it. I actually went to Rami Levy in, um, we're staying in Hashman Ayim, um, and I went to Rami Levy's, which is a big supermarket chain in Israel, and I picked up some beautiful, it was actually frozen, the big beautiful size of salmon. It was equivalent to about $12 um, after, you know, converting it in my head. Um, I kind of divided everything by four, then add a little. So it was about $12 <laughs> for beautiful side of salmon. And then, um, you know, we will be eating that first night seder, followed by some butternut squash soup, and then um, some uh, chicken, which I, you know, uh, did uh, on top of the stove top because, you know, we don't eat anything roasted in the oven. So I made some chicken um, on stove top with some red wine and tomato sauce, um, tomato sauce. <laughs> and uh, with some sauteed mushrooms and onions, I cooked that on top of the stove. It, it was it was great. My kids can't wait to eat it. Kind of like tradition to eat the same kind of you know seder meal. Right. You know, I think I think a lot of uh, Pesach is all about tradition. Of course, going all the way back to Egypt, right? <laughs> Absolutely, a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, speaking of yeah. those traditions, what do you have on your uh, seder table that is? Uh, is different. You know, people have a different custom to have different foods or things to ask to make the children ask questions and to entice them to get into the story. Anything in particular that you you have your family has? You know, my husband's family is actually really unique because they're Romaniotus. They actually came from Greece. Wow. Um, at the end of the first base Hamikdash, they were exiled um, out there, and they that one of the ships that was going to Europe with with refugees. Um, that they were taking a slave, got separated out in a storm. This is all true. And um, there's actually uh, the town they ended up in um, when this one of the, the ships got shipwrecked. Um, and they ended up off a little Greek island called Yanina. And it's, they had a Jewish community there from then, from this time of the, you know, second base. Um, third, I think the first or second base, I'm, I, I can't remember exactly, but that's, you know, definitely a long time ago all the way up till uh, Hitler came and destroyed the, the community. Wow. And they had a Greek shawl, and it's a little bit Spartic. So what my husband's grandfather apparently used to do is um, they would take the Apikoman bag and they would put it over the shoulder and walk around the table with it. Wow, interesting. So when they would do... Yeah, I thought that was interesting. You know, you know, it's a little bit of a hybrid. They, you know, they came to America and they lost a lot of traditions, unfortunately. Right. Um, but... This is one thing that all the grandchildren had remembered, that Zadie, even though it was uh, Sephardic, they still called him Zadie, yeah. <laughs> and they put him over, they put the, the mustard bag over the shoulder, Very and interesting. the table. Later on, we, yep. uh, we expect to have Charlie Harari as our guest, and uh, the question that we're going to be discussing is, uh, as it says, in, uh, what we're supposed to do at the time of the Seder is to feel as if we were actually leaving Mitzrayim, and we're going to discuss how we can do that and how that applies to our lives and whatnot. But this is a great example of a custom that really makes someone feel that way, to get up and walk around, as opposed to what we usually do for holidays, whether we're sitting or just standing, and, and that's it. This is very interesting to do that. Right, and they carry the matzah on their back, like they, you know, wow. that's what they did when they left Egypt. They, like, right, they carry the matzahs on their back in a hurry, so 
I don't I don't think they walked speedily around the Seder table, but right. they uh, they walked around, you know, doing the symbolism there. Right, and we we could have a whole other discussion as to what actual type of matzah they had at that time, because many believe that it's not the hard matzah that we have now, but it's a softer matzah that uh, they actually knew to make. But, More like uh, a soft taco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's for another another discussion. Naomi Nachman, um, thank you so much for joining us this morning on JM Sunday Live from Israel. I know you're extremely busy, and I appreciate you're taking the time to join thank us. You. Um, people, you thank can, you for having me. You're welcome. You can go to the aussiegourmet.com, T-H-E-A-U-S-S-I-E gourmet.com to get this recipe. Now, I'm going to ask you a question because Jay Bookspam is also going to be joining us later in the show. And oh, I had, I had everyone listen to it on Friday. I was still in New York and I uh, yes. had Jay on, Jay on the radio. Yes, absolutely. So now I'm going to ask him the question. I'm going to ask you, what wine would you pair... With although yeah, what wine would you pair with the pistachio encrusted salmon? Okay, I knew you would ask me that. <laughs> um, Jay and I are both fans of the white wine. You can tell him I said that. Okay. I actually like the Baron Herzog Late Harvest Riesling. It goes beautiful with any fish. That is my go-to wine when I make any fish recipe. So that's the Baron Herzog. When I serve any fish, right? Late Harvest Riesling, amazing. It's a, like a brownish bottle delicious it's not crazy expensive it's sweet it's fruity it's just you know it's high cut of wine right. you know it really just brings out spring in uh, your food beautiful well let, let, let's see if he comes up with the same wine when he's on in a, okay. in a few minutes <laughs> uh, he remembers what my favorite wine is yeah. naomi will you be having a uh, a show this coming friday morning no 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 show on Holomoid. okay it'll probably be a an encore presentation then i guess I'm yeah, not sure I, the I, schedule. I guess so. We'll have to check with I'm our... I'm not sure either. My right. first show back is like April 10th, I think. Okay. We'll have to check with our general manager, Miriam El Wallach, to, uh, Yay, to figure out... Yeah, shout out to Miriam for... Uh, now, we now love this, you. This is a bit of a vacation time for her uh, because we have uh, the, the regular programming on the stream, of course, continues, but uh, new shows will begin after Pesach. Again, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward, as always, on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. after JM and the AM to hear you on Table for Two. Enjoy uh, Pesach with your family and, of course, being in Israel. Enjoy that tremendously. Thank you, Chag Sameach, to you and to all the listeners. Chag Sameach. Naomi Nachman live from Israel here on JM Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. The Asi Gourmet is the name of her website, theassigourmet.com, and you can get plenty of recipes, including the one for the pistachio-encrusted salmon that she just discussed. We're going to go to some music, our news from Israel coming up at 8 o'clock, followed by, uh, at some point in the... Uh, 8 to 8.30, half hour, Jay Bookspam, and we'll discuss wine with him and see what he can come up with for the pistachio-encrusted salmon and see if it matches. Here is more music from Rebbe Alter Pesach. Here's Kadei Shurchat. Starts it all on Jam Sunday.
everybody. Bruchim haboim. At long last, Pesach time is here. Well, children, did you all help clean for Pesach? Yes! Is all the chametz out of the house? Of course! Did you help with Bedikas chametz? Yes! Did you see how we burn the chametz? Yes! What? You've already snatched the Achikomen too? No! Well, we'll get to that very soon. And now, come on kids, join along as we sing our Pesach songs.
Avadim Hayinu here on uh, JM Sunday. Matis Weingast with you, 8 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time. Wanted to remind you that JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama. More than a camera store, the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network, 42 West 18th Street, New York City. 1-800-223-2500 is the phone number to call. For cameras, audiovisual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, iPods, iPads, and more, Adorama, Imaging and Beyond, since 1975, official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network. My thanks again to uh, Naomi Nachman, who joined us in the previous half hour to give us a uh, an update on what's going on. She was live. She is in Israel for the holiday of Pesach, and uh, she gave us a great recipe for pistachio-encrusted salmon. You can go to her website, theaussiegourmet.com, and uh, check out that recipe. It is, uh, as I said, 8.01. Uh, Jay Bookspam is scheduled to join us in the next uh, half hour. At 8.30, we're scheduled to speak with Susie Fishbein. At 8.45, Charlie Harari. And right now, as we always do on Sunday mornings, we go to Hannah Levy-Julian, who is a senior correspondent and editor for the Israel National News English Division and a news broadcaster in Israel, to give us an update on what is going on in Israel. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, and how are you, everybody? <laughs> everybody here is fine, getting ready for Pesach. Uh, we are doing the same here. The entire country has been rushing around, boiling things, burning things, <laughs> organizing, <laughs> buying things. The stores are swamped. The corners have vats of boiling water uh, on, in every community, Blow torches abound. Nice. <laughs> Everybody's getting ready for Pesach. Everybody. Our, our understanding <laughs> is that the tourism is is up this Pesach, and there are a lot of people yes, there who've come in. Thank God. Uh, and, um, and and we spoke with Naomi Nachman before. She's a uh, a, a gourmet a cook, a, a TV personality. She has a show on the Nachum Siegel Network, and she's from Australia originally. And uh, she told us about an interesting custom that her family has. Uh, they put the matzah on their shoulder and they walk around the table. Mm-hmm. So I'll That's I'll right. throw it to you. Do you have any uh, interesting customs that you uh, that you have on uh, Pesach? Um, my own personal custom. Yeah, personal custom <laughs> that is at the. Yes. I, I have a personal custom as Pesach ah. that I will tell you about um, that uh, is probably not connected to anything halachic. Well, some people might say it is, but uh, actually I think it's just a practical matter. And that is I have fish ponds uh, in my home. I, mm. I have a house uh, in southern Israel. I live in a, in a, a one-family house because uh, in southern Israel one can actually do that and afford it. 
Um, <laughs> and we have a large yard. <laughs> we have a large yard. And um, so I have two man-made ponds in the front of the house as well as one in, inside my house. Nice. But uh, two, two nice, yes, two nice-sized uh, man-made ponds in the front with uh, all kinds of interesting fish. And during the year, you know, uh, the fish food that you use to feed these goldfish, which are basically um, miniature gefilte fish, um, is hummets. Right. And uh, some of it filters to the bottom and so forth. And, of course, grandchildren come in and neighborhood kids come in and they like to feed them other things as well. My particular minhag is to get the local fish guru who is uh, an owner of a, uh, a pet shop, but he specializes in particular in aquarium fish and in pond fish for uh, fish ponds for uh, Vilot, for uh, one-family homes in the, uh, the Vilot neighborhoods here in uh, Arad. And he is an expert in fish in particular. And uh, he has a service where he will actually clean the pond for you. He does pond maintenance and aquarium maintenance. And my particular minhag is to make sure that at least once a year those ponds get cleaned out. I do that uh, Erev Pesach. Nice. And so last week he was here, and he was cleaning out the ponds. And the, the difference really truly was that the waters now really are sparkling, amazingly clean, and finally, we can actually see the fish. Wow. <laughs> so I, well, now we see gefilte fish swimming around all over the place. You know, I don't know if it would fall into the category of, uh, of, of not, uh, having, not doing tsar balechayim, but, uh, you know, with fish. But I'll leave that to, to the rabbis. But it certainly it's a great thing to do. Uh, well, actually, it might be tsar balechayim because, unfortunately, the cats also can see the fish. Ah. <laughs> So anyway, cat, that's my particular minhag. <laughs> clean the ponds. I don't do the cleaning. Right. <laughs> cat, cat and fish, uh, cat and fish uh, uh, hide and seek on Erev Pesach. <laughs> Julian Ohm. So, so you just had a, uh, a big week. I'm sure you spoke to the President of the United States when he was there. And I'm sure you have an update. Uh, you told him that you were going to be on this morning. And uh, what did he tell you this week when he was in Israel? There was it was a Friday afternoon before he left. Uh, there was the call placed to uh, the Prime Minister of Turkey, uh, the President of Turkey. I don't know what his title is uh, Erdogan, and uh, and they made nice apparently. Uh, they did indeed, uh, Mr. Obama. Before uh, hopping on the plane to go to Jordan, first uh, dialed Mr. Erdogan and spoke to him because uh, that was apparently, by the way, at the Turkish Prime Minister's request. Hmm. Um, he's the one who requested that specifically. And uh, after speaking with him for a few minutes, 
he then handed the phone to Mr. Netanyahu, and uh, Mr. Netanyahu then spoke to Mr. Erdogan directly. It's the first time in three years that the two of them have had a conversation. Well, well, I, I don't know. spoken directly in three years. I guess maybe it's a good thing. How did the uh, trip go in general in Israel? How was the president received? Um, he, by and large, uh, from a political standpoint, he was received uh, politely and then positively. Uh, from a grassroots population standpoint, there were mixed reactions primarily because of the inconvenience to everyone in Jerusalem ere Pesach. Don't forget, he came here literally three days, three shopping days before the, the pre-Passover season. It's, a, it's an impossibility for anyone to get any shopping done with roads closed off. And, uh, I mean, they minimized it as much as they could, but everyone was so terrified about roads being closed off, that Tuesday in Jerusalem, I heard at least, was a complete nightmare. Wow. Because everyone glutted the markets and glutted the stores on Tuesday in order to avoid the Obama rush on Wednesday. Right. Uh, it was crazy. It was really and truly crazy. I know we heard, from, uh, we heard from Mayor Weingarten, who's in Israel, and he was telling us that he, uh, that he was... Uh, Near near the area where the president was traveling, and he was told at one point that he couldn't cross the street because the motorcade was going to come by, and they said it'll be by in a few minutes. Fifty minutes later, <laughs> five zero minutes later, he was able to cross the street apparently. So uh, I think he's still. <laughs> Yeah, nobody believes a few minutes in this country. You, right. You no, know, but this is the Middle East. A few minutes is relative in the Middle East. But you know what made the news here? <laughs> what made the news here right away is the President of the United States, who travels with the, this, this armed force surrounding him, who has the most up-to-date uh, electronics and vehicles and everything, his car breaks down. He gets digital, his car breaks down. Can you explain that, please? <laughs> <laughs> they, they call the car the beast. Yes. Could you imagine? Yes, the car is the beast, and, and they preposition, they bring it, unbelievable. So, by and large, it seems that the country was certainly, um, was, was pleased that the President of the United States came and visited uh, his first overseas trip for his second term. And uh, and yet uh, and after that he landed very well. It, right. it, it was it was actually quite a positive trip because he managed to he came here um, and he 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 lowballed it in terms of what the expectations would be, which was very very smart. Right. And he ended it on an extremely positive note, having accomplished that which no one else had managed to do. Um, although a lot of groundwork was laid in the last two years, there were delegations back and forth for the past two years, and specifically in the last 12 months, a lot of delegations went back and forth between Turkey and Israel, but no one was able to break the barrier uh, to Erdogan. No one had been able to do it, and Obama came here and simply picked up the phone, and that ended the stalemate. That was a coup. There's yeah. no getting around it. That right. was a coup. And now uh, so Israelis, Israelis will be able to go there to Turkey for uh, for tourism and vice versa. Um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what see. happens. Uh, Hannah, thank I'll you. Find, I'll find out because I'm going to go. So ah, we'll find out. Interesting. <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on the JM Sunday Erev, Erev Pesach. I know it's very busy by you, even though, of course, you being in Israel, uh, you only have uh, one day of Yom Tov in the front and back end. So you have one right. Seder. 
And uh, what, what's what's your featured dish for your uh, Seder meal? Um, my particular specialty is gefilte fish. Oh, very nice. Always. Very I nice. always make my own homemade gefilte fish, always. We have uh, Jay Booksbaum, who's going to be joining us in a couple of minutes on the air to talk about uh, his favorite wine. So we're going to ask him what to pair with gefilte fish. Oh, give him my regards and, and, and tell him to please send me an email on what to serve with it. Absolutely. Well, a- actually, actually, you can you can send regards right now. Hannah Levy-Julian is joining us live from Israel. She's our news correspondent. And say hello to Jay. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Jay. How are you? Good. I haven't spoken to you for quite a while. Good to hear your voice. How's it going over there? <laughs> it's all right. But I'm in a dilemma as to what to serve with the gefilte fish. You know, uh, since it's, you're in Israel? Carp and probably together with uh, with uh, Nile perch and moosh. Is it is it a rich gefilte fish or is it a light and uh, fluffy one? Um, it's probably fairly heavy. And uh, the carp will be up to about a third, but the rest of it is Nile perch and uh, moose well, or tuna. The carp tuna, is a more gamey. Depending on what I find today in the store, the It'll carp. Be fresh. The carp is more of a gamey. The carp is more of a gamey fish, so I would say to to choose a richer white wine. Since you're in Eretz Yisrael, there are several that I recommend. Um, there's uh, from Benjamina. There's the Onyx, which is part of the Khoshen series. From Castel, there's the Castel C, and then from Tsuba, there is the Chardonnay, and then there's many, many others uh, that are really wonderful. But those are some of the richer Chardonnays from Israel in Israel. Okay. Well, all right. There you have it. Going ahead for the Chardonnay. That sounds wonderful. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it very much. (laughs) Thank you, Hannah, for joining us. Have a uh, uh, kosher Pesach, and uh, we'll speak to you next week on Kol Hamoid. To you also. Thanks a lot. A kosher and freilich and pesach to everyone. Thank you. Take well. care, everyone. Uh, it is uh, 8.13, 8.14 in the morning here on JM Sunday. We'll be joined in just a couple of minutes officially by Jay Booksbaum. We're going to go to some music right now. Here is, uh, what do we have up next? I thought that we have, do we have him up next? Let's see. We do. We have Uncle Maishi here on JM Sunday. Pesach is drawing near. Every little corner is clear. Not a single drop of promise can be found. When the Dika promise comes around, go ahead, take some bread. Make ten pieces which around the house will spread. Dad will come one by one. He'll make sure to gather every time he extra special. Cleaning and shopping, baking matzos, and studying the Haggadah, the story of Pesach. Four cups, four questions, four sons, ten makos. There's so much to learn and so much to share. So let's all gather round the table as we begin the Pesach Seder.
in the base of Mikdash in Yerushalayim. One is the Shem, one is the Shem, one is the Shem. In the 
heavens and the earth, in the heavens and the earth, in the heavens and the earth. Music, music from uh, Uncle Maishi, Jewish holiday favorites here on JM Sunday. It's 8.21 in the morning. I want to remind all of you that JM Sunday and the Nachum Siegel Network is sponsored by and brought to you by Adorama. More than a camera store, it's the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network. 42 West 18th Street, New York City. 1-800-223-2500 is the number for cameras, audio, visual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, iPods, iPads, and much more. Adorama. Official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network, imaging and beyond since 1975. Well, you heard him before when we were talking to Hannah Levy-Julian, but now we officially want to welcome Mr. Jay Booksbaum to JM Sunday. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Bubala. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I know it's Thank a busy, Marcus. busy time for you. Uh, you are the uh, officially the vice president of marketing for Royal Wine. That's right. But you also said that your favorite title is that you're vice president or totally in charge of education. That's right. For for uh, Royal Wine. And uh, you're heard all over the place. <laughs> You've been traveling all over the place. Now you should actually be winding down a little bit the actually, next day. The, so. I'm, I'm winding down for the next few days, but the minute Yontif is over, not the minute, you know, a couple <laughs> days later, I'm in South America, I'm wow. in Massachusetts, I'm in California. Wow. Doing well, a whole series of events. What's the most remote place you've been to uh, to bring kosher wine? Oh, China. Really? Yeah. Is a is for the Jewish community. Beijing, there. not necessarily. But no. I was going to say, there's also a non-Jewish community that is very much in tune to Israeli products, to Jewish products, to kosher products. Yeah, yeah. What would you say the most favorite wine is of the uh, Chinese uh, population? Uh, right here? now, actually, it's still uh, Concord, but right. it's evolving right. very quickly, um, more more speedily than we did here in the United States. I just read something the other day. I don't know if this is true or not. The old days, people would drink Malaga wine, really heavy, sweet wine. And I read that when the original United States winemakers for kosher wine made their first batches, they weren't that tasty. They weren't that good because they weren't really used to making wine. So they threw in a lot of sugar. Well, and that's how we got heavy <clears throat> Malaga. Is that true? or it's it's uh, You're almost right. Okay. You're almost there. You almost got it perfect. Um, when the first immigrants came to this country, they came to New York State primarily the East Coast, because mm-hmm. uh, that's where the boats landed. Right. And the grapes that were locally available were uh, from a variety called the Labrusca variety, okay. not to be confused with Lambrusco. It's the Labrusca variety. Those grapes generally, Concord, Catawba, etc., are very low in sugar at harvest. Uh-huh. They're actually very low in sugar at harvest okay. and very high in acid. 
and they're very difficult to make good wine out of. In fact, the wine that's made, if you don't use sugar, is so acidic and so dry Mm -hmm. that it's almost undrinkable. So in order to make the wine drinkable, uh, they added sugar to make it drinkable because of the the raw materials that they had to work with. Um, As a matter of fact, it's interesting to note that in... In New York State is the only state in the nation, and Labrusca varieties are the only one, uh, grapes in the nation in the United States that you're allowed actually to add sugar. If you make wine in California mm-hmm. out of Chardonnay or Cabernet or Sauvignon Blanc or whatever, you cannot add sugar. It's illegal. Wow. So that's the purity of that. Yeah. So, so is Malaga a, a grape? No, Malaga, no, Malaga actually term. is a place in Spain. Oh, okay. And some of the great sweet wines in the world are made... Malaga from Spain, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, and so it, it, you know, actually the United States again. Another educational tidbit for you for your next cocktail party uh, on Pesach <laughs> right. is that um, the United States is the only major wine growing and making country that did not sign a, a treaty about 150 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, that doesn't allow people to use. Like, for example, in Israel, they will not use champagne for sparkling wine because champagne is a place in France. And they will not use Malaga. Uh, But um, so, yes, so uh, Malaga is a place. It just kind of, they wanted to reminisce about what that wine was like. So they called the sweet wine that they made here Malaga. Interesting. And as you mentioned, the champagne is a place. A lot of people confuse champagne. They use it as the generic over term for any of sparkling wines, which is not true. That is There's the Champagne region. There are other regions. What uh, what sparkling wine would you recommend uh, that's equivalent to a Champagne? Well, there is a Champagne. Your, you have a Champagne. There's a Drapier Champagne. And as a matter of fact, it's Mavushal. As a matter of fact, it's made by a non... Drapier is a non-kosher Champagne house, but they make... We send in our crew, and they make a small batch nice. for the kosher community. And is that available for Pesach? Yes, Wow. Okay. So that's in the stores now. Fast forwarding from what we just talked about, a hundred or so years, right. and we have a variety of wines that is unbelievable. You go through the store and you see the there are different uh, royal wine labels. Also, there's the I don't want to mix up, but there's Baron Herzog, right. there's Kedem, right, and what else is there? Uh, Bartonura, um, Teal Lake, uh, Winestock, okay. uh, Goose Bay, uh, you know, wow. Rothschild. So you could go through a Seder. Ramon Cordova. You could, wow. you could so have the whole you world. Could, you could have two Sedarim here, and you can go through uh, maybe ten different wines during the course of the Seder. Do you know people who will have a different, and again, I'm not getting into the halakhic issues here, or the minhagim, people who will have a different wine for each coast, or is that something that's generally not? Uh, I, that's what I do. Yeah. And okay. I, I, I can't imagine that there's any halachic ramifications to that at all. As long as it's uh, good wine. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you have a pattern? Do you start with a certain wine and build up? I, I think it's, uh, a, you know, it's very interesting. And in, in general, when you when you drink wine in that, you know, four in a row, you should start with the lightest and then with the heaviest. Okay. Uh, and that's the way it goes in a meal. You start with champagne, which is light and fresh and fruity, for example, at a regular meal, and you end with dessert wine, which is heavy and rich and thick for the dessert. But a lot of people, including myself, actually, uh, for the hidor, just because of the sense of being there and getting to that first cup, I use the, the finest wine. Usually I use the richest, finest wine I can find for the first mm-hmm. coast. That doesn't mean you're stuck to that. And don't listen to me for, you know, that's not an educational thing. That is <laughs> right. a must do. But it makes sense because, it, it, like you said, it's the hidor. It's the mitzvah of having it. And why not? When we go to buy a lulav and estro, we look for the best. Uh, for other things, we look for the best. 
And why not do that here when we have these varieties? Because you're observing the mitzvah with a high-class wine. Yeah, there you now, go. Speaking of meals, we had Naomi Nachman on before, and she gave us a recipe for a pistachio-encrusted salmon. And I told her that you're going to be on, and they said, what wine would you pair with that? So she said, oh, well, uh, Jay and I talked about these things the other day. You were on with her on her Friday morning program, Table for Two, and um, she picked the wine. Now, first of all, what, what category wine do you think she picked? Meaning white. white or red? Okay, white. Definitely. Definitely. What, uh, what label? Um, I would guess, I, I have no idea, but uh, I really have no idea. And you're not, you know, it's that, every, all you guys out there, this is not planned. He's not showing me. Right, I'm not showing, not at all. As a matter of <laughs> fact, know? I'm not even sure what I wrote here, so I hope I get it right. It's a Baron Herzog. I was, it, uh, probably a Herzog, actually. Right. Probably uh, a Herzog Reserve, and I'm, if I were to guess, it might be either the Baron Herzog Chardonnay, but more likely the Russian River Chardonnay. Oh, she said, uh, if I pronounce this correctly, a Riesling? Riesling. Riesling. Oh, very interesting. A late, um, late harvest Riesling. Late, late harvest Riesling. Uh, and why would a late harvest make a difference? What's in a late harvest? Is it more well, sugary? Is uh, it yes. A, okay. Late harvest is quite sweet, uh, quite um, oh luscious, if you will, okay. quite uh, quite big in the mouth. A late harvest Riesling. Generally, that's a wine that should be used for dessert wine. Interesting. But uh, I guess her, her salmon is pretty rich, so I, I, and she I likes the so. sweet stuff, so good a, for her. And, again, you would say that it would be a dessert wine and rich because a too rich a wine would maybe take away from the food itself yeah. and vice versa. The whole objective in, in pairing wine with food is, is what we call a marriage, you know. Right. So you don't want the wine to overpower the food or the food to overpower the wine. So if you're going to have a... a, a you know, you'll excuse me, Mrs. Nachman. Uh, but if you're going to have a rich red, white wine with your the fish that you're starting with, right? You know, it's gonna it's gonna overtake your pet taste buds for the rest of the meal. Of course, Jay Booksbaum, Vice President of Marcus, Marketing and Education for Royal Wine, is uh, on the air with us live in studio. JM Sunday. It's 8.30 in the morning. We're going to go to some music by Shlomo Kabach, and we're going to be joined. You can, you can hang out with us for a little bit sure, more? Sure, a little Excellent. bit more. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Susie Fishbein. All right. So uh, here, is, uh, here is Shlomo Kabach with um, Adir Hu on JM Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Shlomo Kabach. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
words that we will be saying. It is uh, Erev Erev Pesach here on JM Sunday, 8.34 in the morning, joined live in studio by uh, Jay Booksbaum. And uh, we are now going to go also live on the phone joining us. She is a world-famous chef and author, and uh, as we'll find out, author of numerous, numerous cookbooks, including Passover by Design, Please join me in welcoming the one and only Susie Fishbein. Good morning, Susie. Welcome to JM Sunday. Good morning, guys. How are you? Great, great. Nice Thank you. Nice to hear your voice, Susie. Hey, Jay. How are you? Good. I'm glad you're hanging around because I, I would love a pairing on my dish. <laughs> right. Well, uh, as you get ready for Pesach, uh, ahead of time, I want to wish you and your family a great uh, Pesach holiday. And uh, all your listeners. Thank you. And I know you're busy today, and thank you again for joining us. Uh, we asked our other guests today, what um, any special custom, besides before we get into the recipe, any special custom that you have or your family has on Pesach, uh, whether it's an old family custom or something to get the children to ask questions, anything different, anything that you particularly enjoy? Well, I have to say one of my favorite Passover traditions, I wouldn't necessarily say it's specifically to keep the kids involved, but it's really to keep the Seder moving. And it was one of the, one of my, I think one of my greatest design elements that I've used in any of my books, um, but that I featured in Passover by design, where um, at every other person's place setting or every person's place setting, um, I set up a bento box. A bento box is like what you eat, get at a sushi restaurant where it's like a divided box. And one of them has like a cordoned off corner where I normally would, they would put soy sauce. So I use my containers for a portion of maror. The, the cordoned off one would have um, the vegetable with the salt water in there, um, the haroset, and then like a little sake bottle with water and a tea towel. And the reason for this Seder in a box is to kind of keep everything moving. Seders tend to have lots and lots of people, if you're lucky, at them, with elderly relatives, with young kids. And so I found that, you know, you get up to wash and everybody shuffles back to the table. And two minutes later, you're getting up to wash again and everybody shuffles back to the table. And you're passing around the salt water for dipping and it takes 10 minutes and you kind of lose the crowd. So by giving out the Seder in a box when it's time to wash, everybody has it right there at their table. When it's time to dip, everybody has it right there at their table. Visually, it's gorgeous and really exciting. And you don't have to go if, you know, time is short or you're on a tighter budget. It doesn't have to be bento boxes. My ideas are always meant as a source for inspiration, not perspiration. It's not to make you nervous. It's to make you start thinking, well, how can I do this in a way with stuff I already have in my house or cheaply? My sister-in-law knocked it off one year in a very clever way using plastic, um, little plastic, almost like like uh, little plastic bowls that she hot glued gun down and decorated the plates 
with um, with frogs and jewels and things like that. Wow. So it's just the concept of, you know, in a creative, fun way, bringing the Seder plate to almost every other person's table. Obviously, you still need the regular Seder plate for the leader of the table um, to run the Seder with, but it just really streamlined the process, and so there was no losing of the crowd. It, you know, it kept everybody right where they needed to be. Interesting. So your new book is going to be called Seder Productions by Susie Fishby. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the the book that you the the cookbook that you do have uh, for Pesach is Passover by Design, yes. and it's available uh, all over in all stores. You can pick it up today, tomorrow if you don't have it already. And uh, there are so many wonderful recipes in there. Um, what if people want to contact you? By the way, what website is the best, or what way of contacting you? They can go to the Art Scroll website. They can uh, reach out to KBD as in Kosher by Design, KBD Events at artscroll.com. Excellent. That's, that's the way to directly reach me. So um, what recipe do you want to share with us this morning? So that was hard. When you asked me just to focus on one, because I really feel that, um, as Naomi had said earlier, Passover is definitely a time where people feel that pull to tradition. Uh, you know, it, your grandmother might not be with you anymore, but you still want to walk into that Seder and, and have her brisket. You want the smells to smell like your mother's house. And I am all for that. You know, as one whose cookbooks are all about what's new and what's exciting and how can we put a funky twist. Pesach is definitely a time where you want to look back. Um, and then you also want to sprinkle in a couple of new exciting things that might, might be a little, you know, different that your family hasn't seen. So that's, that's the recipe I want to talk about. So um, one of the recipes that I use sometimes as an appetizer, sometimes I use it as an alternate main dish. Um, are chicken lollipops over spaghetti squash with a spiced mayonnaise. So it sounds complicated, but it's really not any harder than making schnitzel. Um, <laughs> so the first thing is you'd want to throw your spaghetti squash whole into the oven, 350 for between 45 minutes and an hour, depending on the size. And when I say whole, I mean don't take off the sticker, don't poke any holes, don't cut it in half, the whole thing right out of the supermarket bag onto the oven rack wow. until the sides depress the spaghetti squash comes out, you let it cool while you prepare the rest of the recipe. The rest of the recipe is cutting up chicken, and we have the recipe on your website, um, into small little rectangles, which you skewer alternatively with, it's a chicken square, um, and then a rectangle of, um, of scallion. So you do that three times, so you end up with like a popsicle-sized chicken, which you then bread. Uh, if you're Gabrox, there's ways to do it, and if you... Uh, if you do we you know, um, I would say the best way to do it is you need, uh, it's a three-part breading station, so something like a dry cake meal, which you can season up, and um, Jason this year made a great flavored coating crumb that can stand in for your crumbs and egg, um, you know, those three things, and then you pan sear them and finish them off in the oven. So you have this beautiful golden, almost like a schnitzel, but for grown-ups. Well, kids like it too, because anything on a stick kids will like, exactly. but it's very exactly. upscale looking. So that then is your finished piece. When your spaghetti squash is soft enough, you cut it open, you take out the seeds, and you use a fork to fork it into strands that really do resemble spaghetti. Right. doesn't taste like spaghetti. Don't tell your kids it's pasta, but tell them it's this really cool vegetable that's really good for you that um, looks like spaghetti, and it really does. Well, on, on the side for a second, to interrupt the spaghetti squash in general, and I'm sure you have many recipes for it, during the year and whatnot, you can take spaghetti squash if it's the right consistency. When you fork it out, so to speak, you can add uh, honey to it. You can make it as a great side. You it's can do anything with it. In my new book, Cooking Coach, I'm a huge, I have a sweet spot for sweet noodle kugel, which is 
so bad for you. There's just no way to make that healthy with all the <laughs> eggs and the margarine and the noodles. And But I make a sweet spaghetti squash kugel that wow. really hits the spot for me to stand in for a sweet noodle kugel. Great. So getting back to this recipe, what's so the next step? You, you fork the spaghetti squash and you season it with olive oil and shawarma spice which you can find in, in any supermarket. It's obviously different than regular every uh, year-round shawarma spice because it won't have cumin if you don't eat kidney oak, but it's enough of a spice. So that's the second piece. So you have this beautiful yellow mound of spaghetti squash that if you put a glove on your hand or use tongs, you can get like some nice height in the middle of the plate. Across it on a diagonal, you lay your um, chicken lollipop, and then you just whisk together a little bit of mayonnaise, um, if you can get, if you can use full fat, it'll hold its shape better. But if you're watching, then you know you just won't get anything that you can pipe out of a bag. But you can certainly put a little zhuzh on the plate, and you color it up with turmeric, and you can spice it up with a little apricot jelly, a little lime juice, or even just some of that shawarma spice if you want to go simple. But definitely add the turmeric because the beautiful yellow on yellow on yellow is really a nice visual. Wow. Have you uh, this this recipe? By the way, is in your uh, cookbook Passover by Design, right? It is. Mm-hmm. Although when see. I first developed the recipe, uh-huh. I, it was more complicated because what I was trying to approximate were panko breadcrumbs. So I started with whole matzo boards that I pulsed in the food processor to wow. break down to resemble panko. Interesting. But the, uh, over the past few years, the coating crumbs, some of the companies. Um, the ones where, if you, Brux, some of the companies have really made a fantastic product with faux breadcrumbs that really have some nice texture to them. So you can skip that whole process. Um, if you do not gabrux, there are there are, there are, there are coating crumbs, which obviously are more potato starch, that will taste delicious. You just won't get any texture looking on your schnitzel, but it'll it'll really be fine. Excellent. So now Jay Booksbaum is here, and uh, he's listened to your recipe. Uh, what uh, what is what is your opinion, Susie? What w- wine would you well, pair with sure this? For sure, a white. Um, you're you're looking at there is a little bit of a fried taste, although you haven't cooked the chicken all the way in oil, and it's certainly not deep fried. You will get that that frying you know effect um, as you would with any kind of schnitzel. But yet there's also some nice spicing from the spaghetti squash and the creaminess and the sweetness a little bit in the mayonnaise from the apricot jelly. So, all right, Jay. What Jay, do what say? do you think? What do you we think? Had, we had two fish dishes uh, before you got on, which you missed, uh, and. And I suggested whites for both of those. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit off track here. Um, you're right. I mean, a white a white would be great for this. But I'm gonna go a little bit Preferably off track. Probably yellow, Jay. We're following the yellow I'm theme. Gonna, I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna be a little bit off track here. Um, and I will suggest one white, okay? And that's late harvest. Naomi uh, mentioned uh, a late harvest wine, because of you know this richness and mm-hmm. if you can add the apricot jelly to it it's going to have a sweetness as well um then if you're going to do a sweet finish to it then i would definitely go with um late harvest herzog's late harvest orange muscat mm-hmm. or late harvest chenin blanc both of which are orangish yellowish in look mm-hmm. so it really it's really pretty too huh. and uh i think especially the the orange muscat is going to it's going to Makes such a beautiful combination visually. All right, then that's um, the one we're. Uh, that's, but that's I the or, one we're going with. But I'm also gonna I'm also gonna suggest that if you don't finish it off with a sweeter uh, finish, then this kind of dish, because it's so rich and spicy, and it's got the, the shawarma stuff in it, and it's got all this good, you know, richness to it. I would say that there are two reds that you could go with: either a pinot noir 
which is a lighter red, which can be served cold or cooler, and also a red, Baron Herzog red Zinfandel, which is actually quite spicy. And so, you know, if you, if you want to get a real, you know, if you add a little bit more shawarma sauce, uh, um, spices to it and more spiciness, if you want to get the spicy side of that dish and you want to finish it that way, you, you know, that might be appropriate as well. But that orange muscat or the, the late harvest shenan, mmm, delish. Mm. Especially if you finish it sweet, it'll be great. Well, there and they you both have, have, by the way, and, and I know you're a stickler for these things, they both have the acidity, those two wines, unlike other late harvest wines, have the acidity kick, enough acidity kick, to, you know, to really balance it out. That sounds great. So there you have uh, expert opinions on... Uh, I will tell you, Susie, my wife is like, doesn't go anywhere without your books, especially <laughs> on Pesach. Your traveling companion. And I, and I bought it, boy, you know, so... <laughs> Wow. Su- Susie Fishbein, thank you so much for joining us here on JM Sunday. We wish you and your family a uh, Zizan Kosher Pesach, and uh, we look forward to checking out the Passover by Design. Uh, everybody should go out and get it today or tomorrow. And, and remember have... the new Cooking Coach book. It makes a great Afi Komen gift. Absolutely. Now, are you going to be doing one? You know, you have, you have cookbooks for kids and teens. Mm-hmm. How about one for um, cookbooks for husbands? I have to say, one of the ideas in the hopper right now is kosher by design for men. Chillins, oh. chilies, and grilling. <laughs> Fantastic, right? Excellent, excellent, excellent. I get the excellent. best response when I float that idea. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Please keep us posted. Thank you again so much. Have a great gentleman, and thanks for, for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is uh, 8.46 in the morning here on JM Sunday. I want to thank you, Jay, for uh, joining us here. You're welcome, uh, again, Montes. and you're welcome any time, of course. I know it's a far travel, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to go to some music right now. Here is Mordechai Ben David with Let My People Go on JM Sunday.
Mordechai ben David here on JM Sunday with Let My People Go, and uh, that is a theme of the Pesach holiday. It's 8.49 in the morning Eastern time here on a JM Sunday. Reminder that JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama, more than a camera store, the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network. 42 West 18th Street, New York City, 1-800-223-2500. For all your camera, audiovisual equipment needs, electronics, iPods, iPads, Adorama, Imaging and Beyond, since 1975, the official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, so far this morning, we had a number of guests on of the uh, culinary uh, type. We had Naomi Nachman, live from Israel. We had Jay Booksbaum here in the studio. And we just heard from Susie Fishbein to give us uh, their, uh, their culinary expertise as we go into the Pesach holiday. And now we're going to be joined by someone who's going to give us a more spiritual side to the uh, holiday. We're being joined by the one and only Charlie Harari, motivational speaker, par excellence, host of the Book of Life on the Nachum Siegel Network, heard every Thursday. And he is live with us here on JM Sunday. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Great. It's a pleasure, and thank you so much. So we're going into the holiday of Pesach. I asked every guest so far, and I'll ask you for a split second, um, do you have any particular tradition or, or something that you do at the Pesach Seder to have the kids ask questions or whatever it may be a family tradition that's uh, unique to you or something that you particularly like? It's, a, I don't, it's not really a tradition, but what I find for me a lot is that as soon as we get going with the story, we go right to the Haggadah and we forget about the kids. So the kids are rocking in Manishtana and then everything's going great. And then, like, they sort of, sort of drop off a little bit. And then, like, we meet you at Dayenu. You ever get that? Like, <laughs> start sale and then, like, everyone will meet up in Dayenu. Right. Um, I, I find that a lot of times, especially for us, we're so worried and nervous to not say every word. And everything is so important that, like, you can go a half an hour, like, just saying Hebrew. Right. Um, and the kids are gone. So what I try to do as much as I can is really slow it down. Um, at, at the sort of the, the story parts and really begin to, I almost like go like English, Hebrew, English, Hebrew, English, Hebrew, and like say it in English. Especially when the kid's sitting around, it's not just like they're hearing Hebrew words, but like you're actually trying to tell them the story. Right. So I don't get dressed up and do all that fun <laughs> stuff, but uh, I, 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 I'm, I try to be conscious that, you know, 11-year-olds and 9-year-olds really can't follow the Hebrew translation and you know, after we get them pumped from Anishana, we may lose them along the way. Right, and sometimes we miss the message in the uh, in the, simply the way it's said because we're not focusing on the fact that what we're really supposed to do is impart that message uh, in whatever language uh, is is necessary to do that. Absolutely, and I think you have to say the Hebrew words, and that's what we do. We don't want to you know, ruin that tradition, but if it's just that, you really lose. I mean, I think it was most adults between me and you, but like of you course. really you lose people and. Um, to me, I try, if I can, to, like, limit these, like, you know, I don't, you know, every family's got, like, you know, the, you know, the kids come in with, like, the truckload of stuff, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, they're reading, like, four pages of some Tavar Torah that, like, the rabbi put together right. for them. And they're, like, right. they're, like, the Maharsha says, right. why? And they're, like, that. And, like, so I try to, as much as I can, limit all that. Right. Which is great, though, because you do want to know what you're paying tuition for, <laughs> right, right. which is what they you usually know. say. Oh, right. I'm paying tuition, so what do you have to say? Which is great. So now I have a, a question for you. One of the things we are supposed to do with the Seder is we are supposed to feel as if we actually left Egypt. We're leaving Egypt. And a lot of holidays, we don't focus on the actual event as such other than talking about it. Uh, 
Sukkahs we sit out in a sukkah. Um, and Hanukkah we light the menorah. Um, Pesach we're telling the story and we're doing different things that, um, that talk about the holiday. But how can we really get into that mindset of feeling that we actually left Egypt and jumping ahead to life in general, which I know you're so great at, at doing and infusing us with, with the spirituality of life. How can that help us in day-to-day to be able to get into a mindset of, of seeing something and feeling as if we're actually there doing it? Right. Well, you know, listen, uh, it's a great question. I think it's a good question that people really need to, we need to understand and to, to digest. And it's probably the hardest question because for us, sometimes it's easier just to go through the work, the motions, you know, eating things, saying things, sitting in things. But internalizing is really where, you know, you separate, you know, so to speak, the men from the boys. You know, you really are, and of course the women, you don't need to separate women. They're all perfect, so that's fine. But, you know, the, right. the, the really the, the next level is being able to digest it and internalize it. And I think one of the mistakes we make is that we think that Egypt is a geographical location and that this is, it's, it's sort of south of Israel and we were there a long time ago and we wore togas and sandals and, you know, you know, Charlton Heston was Moses and the whole thing. And like, oh, <laughs> back then it was then. Right. And we're, we're missing that Egypt, the concept of Egypt, isn't just a ge- geography. It's not just a country. Egypt is a concept. And, and throughout all of the Bali stories, you see all again and again on the right, and everyone's talking about how the word Egypt comes from the word Nazar, and Nazar comes from the word limitations and restrictions, and that every time we have a narrowed view, every time we have a limited way of thinking, we are enslaving ourselves. And so every one of us in our lives right now are enslaved in some way. We have lives that we, we, we know we can get. We have marriages that we know it could be a certain way, but I just can't, I can't relate that way. I can't do these sort of things to my wife and my husband. And I've got children, and I want so badly for them to know how much I love them and be that mom or that dad. I just can't. And I know my job is good. I wish I could. I know I could be better. I just can't. I know I could be a good Jew, but I just can't. All the just I can't. And every one of us, if we're thinking about our lives, seriously, and we all have it because we've all had moments of inspiration. We've all been to an ELO, and we go, this is going to be the best year of my life, and it's the same. And we've all been to the moment where we see something and feel something and go, that's what the promised land looks like. In my marriage, in my life, in my family, with my friends, my life. It, it's not just, you know, every aspect of my life we can sense, we know that there's a promised land, but we just can't get there. And the reason we can't get there isn't because the circumstances aren't there. We'd love to see if the whole circumstance would change for us. That's not what we're looking for. It's us that needs to change. It's because of the way we think. We have, we have limited thoughts. We have negative thoughts. We, we have the I can't mentality that constantly plagues us. We have the fear of failure that constantly plagues us. We have the I don't want to be vulnerable that always plagues us. We have the what if God's not really listening stuff that really plays. We have the, I'd love to see what kind of, what, what, what I mean by davening, but I have no time to spend two minutes a day going through one line and, and feel it. So when I, when, over the course of the year, when I daven, I know what I'm saying. A lot of what stops us is our thinking. You know, I just spoke to someone recently who's having a very tough life, and, she, and this, this person was like, literally like, literally on, on the brinks of despair. And I kept on saying to her, it could be better, and she goes, it can't be better. I go, how do you know? She goes, because it can't. There's only black in front of me. I can't see anything but black. It's your thinking. And the trying represents the slavery that we put ourselves into, the, the slavery in our minds. And the goal of, of, of Pesach is to have chayr, is to have freedom from the all in the trying. 
And what's amazing about the Seder is that the Seder, if you notice the first ever Seder, I just did a video on this last year, the first ever Seder, you think the Seder is the commemorative you know, moment. That's when you remembered leaving Egypt. So when should the first Seder be? The year afterwards. Of course. Right? But they didn't have it then. The year afterwards should be the first Seder because it's remembering the, 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 the leaving Egypt. It's like the first anniversary is the year after, after the wedding. Right? If you, you remember the game, championship game the year after you won. You sit around. Like, God, I can't right. believe it. The play was amazing. When was the first Seder? first Seder was the night before they left. But they, <laughs> was it like a dress rehearsal? That's weird. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't enjoy the You can't drink out of the Stanley Cup before the game. It's bad luck. It doesn't work like that way. You can't watch the wedding video before the wedding. It doesn't work that way. It's freaky. The Stanley Cup of but, wine. Right, exactly. And God's like, sit down. They're like, for where? He's like, no, no, the theater. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, we're in Egypt. He's like, I got it. Thank God. He's like, come on, they talk matzah. They ate matzah. Why were you matzah for? Because our moms didn't have enough come to book the bread. They ate the matzah Wednesday night. <laughs> Mom didn't have the problem yet. The problem happened Thursday morning. What are you doing? So in the, in the right. minute or so that we have, what can people do to sit down at their Seder when they're ready to start and to put themselves in that mind frame when we have about a minute to go. So that's so that's what it is. So God says, "Here's the story. Sit down." They're like, well, we didn't leave yet. God goes, "Freedom isn't in geography. Freedom is in your mind." The Jews sat down that first time in Egypt and had to act free. In Egypt, they sat down and got and they said, "Everything around me looks like it's slavery. Look at my family. Look at my life. Look at everything. It's all the same." And God goes, "No, it's not. It's in your mind. If your mind can become free, then you can be free." If you sit down and sit this year and you say to yourself, "What is freedom to me? What is the world that I want to be?" Who do, who do I want to be in life? What's stopping me? What's blocking me? And if for one night we can focus and realize that what's stopping us from the lives we want is in our mind, then we can at least resolve to stand up from the Seder and be different. Amazing. It's great That's words. Cool. Great great way to think, uh, going into the Seder with a mindset that, uh, that, like you said in the beginning, isn't just the words, isn't just saying it, but actually feeling it and being able to take that into our lives. Amazing. Where are you going to be for uh, Yom Tov? You're going to be home or gateways. going to be away? Where? Going gateways. Wow, gateways. very nice. Beautiful. Beautiful nice gateways. They're very lucky to have you. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Lucky to be there. Charlie Rowry, thank you so much for joining us thank here on JM so Sunday. Have a Freilich and Pesach. Freilich and Pesach. It is just a few seconds before the end of the show. Thank you to all our guests for joining us this morning. Thank you to uh, Susie Fishbein and Jay Booksbaum and uh, Hannah Julian and uh, Naomi Nachman, and, of course, Charlie Harari, who just joined us. Have a Freilich and Pesach till next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Nachman's back tomorrow morning from Kutcher's at 6 a.m. on JM in the a.m.